coming to you from beautiful Santa Barbara, California. Promoting peace, healthy living, and happiness. It's the Peace Podcast with host Barbara Gon Mueller. Hi, this is Barbara Gon Mueller. You're in for a show today that's going to give you an eye-opening experience with a wonderful man whose name is Jim Bierman. He is a retired president of the National Police Foundation in Washington, D.C., where he was the police. He also was the chief of police in Redlands, California, police department until his retirement in 2011. He's worked for the Redlands Police Department since 1978. His email even has at futurepolicing.org. That's what we're going to look at today. Future policing. What is the responsibility of the police department today? What is it that we're looking for as they protect us and keep us safe? Because that's where we're going to start. He's committed to the idea of reform of the police culture. And you know, the police are in the news today. And if we just pay attention to the individuals who are the police that we will be able to bring cities together and we will have proven that even small reforms, he says, can bring huge, huge differences in our police. Now, I'm going to start, Jim. How Did I leave anything out important? No, no, no. no All right. What is the movement toward peace officer? You know, we had that conversation before we started recording. Is it an officer? Is it a police service? What is the movement toward police officer? And what does that mean for our communities? So the movement toward peace officer is really a little bit like um, reinventing the past in some ways. Um, In many states, like California, where I'm located, the state statute that outlines what a police officer Uh, is supposed to do, what their authority and responsibilities are, never refers to them as police officers. That is our common term, the legal term for a police officer in California and many states, as I said, is peace officer. And I think over the years, we've lost sight of that. So in many ways, what this movement toward peace officer and cops, and I use the term cops all the time. This is how police officers talk about each other, so it's not a slang or derogatory term. Really is about finding the purpose of policing. It is almost a spiritual connection to why um, I became a police officer, why I stayed in the business as long as I did, why almost all of the people that I hired got into the business of policing. And it's really about operationalizing that term Um, which is complicated um, today for all kinds of reasons that I'm sure we'll talk about. But it really is a a cultural shift within policing. Um, It's shifting the mental model of of how we think about the police from simply the enforcers of laws to those people that we pay to be the guardians of the community who are trying to facilitate uh, peace in a community try to advance a peaceful environment. And what does that mean, given all of the complicated um, characteristics of our world today? Well, you really said something powerful. You said guardians of the community. Isn't that a beautiful word? Well, it is. And this was, I think, 
the way that most good police officers think about policing. Policing is complicated in the United States for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is there are so many independent police departments. There's about 18,000 of them. And there isn't one central controlling entity that tells all those police departments how they should operate, what their policies and procedures should be. Um, that comes mostly from state legislatures and you have 50 of those. So you have 50 different ways of doing policing. Then within those states, you still have city governments or county governments that are telling um, police departments how to operate around um, the notion of you know, safety. So the one thing though that can be unifying across the country, regardless of where we're talking about, is this idea that we have individuals in the community called peace officers, police officers, cops, that we want to be the guardians of the community that keep us safe. Um, it's an unfortunate reality that there are um, not statistically a large number, but a sufficient number of very, I think, very ill people that are sociopathic, that are harmful, that um, will hurt people. And, and that is just a reality. Um, you, you, so who's going to protect everybody from them? We also have things like traffic realities where accidents can occur. Sometimes those are simply the, the uh, fault in the engineering of the roadway, but either way, we have emergencies that the police need to respond to after an accident occurs, or even when a fire uh, is occurring in a structure, or somebody's having a heart attack, or a child is drowned, or somebody has cut themselves. Um, if you are truly a guardian, then your perspective is on protecting people and helping them be safe. Um, and it, you are one of those people that society has, in theory, said, we hold you um, more accountable and at a higher level because of what we expect from you and what we hope that you'll do, which is to protect us and to be our guardian. As you listen to Chief, ex-Chief Jim Bierman, you can understand why he was the first police chief to be named an honorary fellow of the Academy of Experimental Criminology in the Hall of Fame at George Mason University's Center for Evidence-Based Crime Policy. That's quite an honor. Um, not many make it. How did you make it? What was it that made them say, wait a minute, here's somebody we need to honor? Well, I was blessed quite frankly, to um, be the police chief, to do my whole police officer career in the city in which I grew up. So um, Redlands is a wonderful suburban community located about 60 miles east of Los Angeles. Um, it's a very cohesive community of about 80,000 people um, that has its problems. I mean, it's not perfect, I wanna be really clear, but because I grew up in this town, I knew a lot of people and I think I had a high level of trust that when I was trying something new, that people would allow me to do that. The, politicians and my city manager bosses would allow me to try that because they knew me. One of those things that I thought was really important is a movement called evidence-based policing, which is the simple notion that you use the best available scientific evidence to drive your policing strategies and policies. And so I was um, really very fortunate to meet early in my career as a police chief in the late 90s, some of the people who were instrumental, the criminologists that are really in the, the top, probably three to five criminologists in the world that were also responsible for pushing this movement from an academic and a research perspective. And it really changed how I saw the policing world. So in my 
department, we were advocate, early advocates of evidence-based policing, and we did a lot of things. We started programs that were evidence-based. We got rid of programs where we found that the evidence showed that they were ineffective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that as a good steward of the public taxpayer investment in public safety, I needed to do those things which we could prove worked and try not to do those things where there was either no evidence or the evidence showed that they were ineffective. And that meant that I got on the radar screen of a few people that were kind enough to give me some recognition. But it was really, I think I was accepting those recognitions on behalf of the department because it was a lot more, it was about a lot more than, than me, really. I, I'm just Our peace to... officers deserve a lot of gratitude in spite of all of the bad press that they're getting right now because the gratitude that I feel for the word peace officer, and now, and you go to uh, Redlands, will we notice peace officer on the side of police cars? Yes, you will. So there have been two chiefs since I left. Um, the person who succeeded me was there for five years. And then he came from outside the organization. And, and at, toward the end of his tenure, I think he agreed to do this. And then the current chief is somebody who came up through the organization, has been there his whole um, police officer career, who believes in this idea. And so you'll see the decals on the cars that say peace officer is part of kind of the marketing side of this. And I think it's intended to, to uh, stimulate conversation in the community about what does that mean and you know this idea of peace officers about so much more than simply um, decals on the cars or perhaps patches on there's a sheriff's department in uh, north carolina or south carolina that um, has peace officer patches on their uniforms now and i think we're going to see more and more of that um, as a way of um, exhibiting their commitment to this notion uh, affecting peace wherever possible and being an organization that believes that their purpose is to facilitate the peace in the community. And it really does affect the whole department with those words, doesn't it? Well, it should. Um, if an agency is thinking about doing this and all they're going to do is put decals on their cars, I would encourage the chief not to do this um, because it, it, you're going to, when you build up people's expectations, you, and you don't meet them, then you have a bigger problem than you probably had prior to that. So I'm a big fan of this idea, first of all. I'm also a big fan of advocating that if you're going to do this, you have to find ways to make sure that this becomes a driving force within the organization. It becomes uh, anchored to the culture of the organization, that it's part of the values that people hold dear there, and that it extends beyond the walls of the police department to the uh, political structure and the community because I think it's very clear to me anyway that the police do not um, control crime by themselves. They don't affect peace by themselves. There is a co-production of public safety that occurs in healthy communities um, where that relationship between the community and police are strong and positive. And so when you're co-producing this, you have to also understand you're co-producing peace. And that is a bi-directional process um, where citizens have a role to play in that um, and we can't abdicate our collective responsibility to peace um, and think that the cops are going to be able to do this all by themselves. That's this so is- interesting what you just now said because the po- citizens have a role to play too. That brings me up to my last question. What can the individual citizen do to help rebring that police reform that everybody's demanding now? Where are we on this police reform in the city and the community and in the state? Well, that is, a, we could probably spend a couple of hours talking just about <laughs> I that bet. question because that is 
such an expansive phrase. What does police reform mean? I believe that in community-led policing, in other words, that police officers work for the community, you know, they, mm -hmm. the people that own, that hold the ownership certificate of the police department of the community, it's not the police officers themselves. Um, so the first thing is, I think, for people to understand that they have a part to play in co-production of public safety, number one. So you gotta get your head around that. Number two, get to know your police department. And that may mean you like them more, you dislike them more, you like them less. Um, you may be surprised by things. Many police departments have ride-along programs. They have citizens academies. Um, if you can get to know the police chief, um, this is easier to do in smaller communities than it is in urban centers. And then when you have had the experience of riding along with an officer or talking to them or encouraging the city, I'm a big fan of cities, regardless of their size, of, to have public safety commissions, whether that's just the police, a police commission or police and fire commission, where you have citizen involvement in helping discuss and set the direction of a department so that the community has meaningful input, tangible input into where the department is going. I don't think um, in the category of what I wouldn't do, and I am saddened to see people do this, I would not demonize those men and women that are peace officers in our community who are willing literally to lay down their lives for perfect strangers. I don't think that makes any sense to me at all. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't hold them accountable. You absolutely have to hold them accountable. And police officers, I think, need to be held to a higher standard of accountability than everybody else because of the role of guardian that we give them. But understanding that the process and the system of criminal justice we have in this country and dealing with people with mental illness, drug addiction, or homelessness is not the police didn't make those laws. The police did not decide that they were going to be the first responders to homelessness or mental illness. It was state legislatures or community leaders who, who got elected by people who made a decision that didn't, I think, fully understand the consequences. So understanding that here are the problems, trying to take a non-blaming approach to fixing those problems, linking arms with the police, and, and in the process of doing that, nudging the police, sometimes you gotta do more than nudging, toward a place of this co-production and looking at the community as a partner, as a meaningful partner in making whatever community we're talking about safe and peaceful and helping them understand um, what peace officer means, how do, what it means when you operationalize that, not only within the department, so the police side of that, but also the political implications for peace officer and the community implications for peace officer, so that everybody gets on the same page of music. We're all part of that same parade heading in the same direction. And then you have community alignment around those same values. Those are very wise words. And based on your experience, have you seen the communion, communion between police and public work well because you have that's your philosophy that we need to get to know each other i have seen it work fabulously well everywhere um, that i have seen it um, employed sincerely where there is a sharing of, of knowledge information data power influence um, the police have to be humble about this the police have to say to the community we don't know as much about your neighborhood as you do. 
We need you to help us work together to solve these kinds of problems. Um, community policing has been a thing in the United States since the 80s. And community policing is not a program. It is not a strategy per se. It is an organizational philosophy about how you're going to solve community problems, how you're going to work with the community, and do you, does the organization see the community as a true partner in what they're doing and not simply um, just somebody who calls 911. So it, it does work, and um, it works even in those places where there is tension over um, police use of force that is um, maybe legally justified but looks bad or is not legally justified and results in criminal filings against the officers. It works in places where um, you have high crime rate and low crime rate. It may be easier in some places than others, but I have to tell you that I think on some level, and I don't mean to be glib about this, but this is the way Mother Nature intended policing to be done, right? It, it was intended to be done in um, this co-productive way where the community and the police work together. It, it has worked repeatedly um, to create that connection and that relationship between the community and peace officers um, working in the police department. That is different than controlling crime. And sometimes um, it is not so much about controlling crime as it is about forging a positive, pro-social and healthy relationship between the community and the police. I could just quote everything that you've said today. Healthy relationships, community partnership, working together to bring the police into their homes, into their lives, so that they're not the enemy, but they're a part of our community. Am I correct on that? You're right. You're absolutely right. Sir Robert Peel was a gentleman who is um, he's an Englishman who lived in London and is largely um, considered, I think, the father of modern policing in the democratic world and there i would encourage all of your viewers to google uh pelian policing principles there are nine of them and peel is p like paul e e l e and you can see them and these nine principles were developed in the late 1800s to give the london uh, police guidance in how they should think about their job they are as relevant today for us as they were then one of those principles simply says the police are the people and the people are the police. Mm -hmm. And that conveys so much in terms of, um, and it, it speaks to how we recruit um, people to become police officers in our department. Does the police department look like the community it serves? Um, but it also, I think, conveys this idea that we're co-producing public safety, that you can't separate the police from the community or the community from the police. And many of the other um, principles with that are, um, in those nine principles speak to various things and literally it could have been written yesterday um, it could have been written by very vocal community advocates who don't like the police much to be honest with you that these are, are I think uh, universal principles about policing that have uh, stood the test of time but we tend to forget about them and we need to go back to them sometimes we make our lives too complicated, I think. And sometimes this is pretty simple, that it is all about people. I used to tell my people, only people count. At the end of the day, it's all about people. Only people count, the people we serve, the people we're trying to protect, the people we arrest, you, everybody 
that's the most important thing are the people that are part of this policing and community equation. And if we lose sight of that and think it's about power or influence, money, stuff, laws, then we're on a slippery slope in my opinion. It's inspirational to listen to you because you give us so much hope that the police and the people, people are police, police are people, can work together. I'll never forget my friend. He was an advertising agent and he was have a, a hired by Canada, one of the communities up in Canada. And they couldn't get enough sheriffs or police officers. So he said, his ad said, you want to ride in a brand new car? I mean, it didn't even talk about <laughs> going to be a policeman. Oh, they, he got so many applicants. And then he said, do you know what we're going to do now? We're going to make you a friend of the people. And what does that mean? We're going to have police officers. And I remember peace officers now with Lisa, who has started Peace to Peace, and I mean P-E-A-C-E, number two, Peace to Police. So beautiful. I don't think you're alone anymore. I think your philosophy is why your community is so healthy. And I think our philosophy is going to spread. It, 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 what we think, we can't be fearful of the police. We have to be their partners. Right, exactly. You know, um, we unfortunately live in a world where um, some strangers might harm kids. They get separated from their parents or something. And um, I had a very strong lesson when I was a trainee with one of my uh, training officers. We were coming out of a coffee shop, and the kid that was probably four or five years old was probably not behaving all that well. And his mother set, pointed to us and said, if you don't behave better, I'm going to have these policemen arrest you. And the kid looked at us, you know, like, with big eyes, like he's afraid of us. And my training officer said, ma'am, can we talk real quick? You can't pass that message along to your son. He can't see us as the enemy because if he gets lost and um, needs a caring adult to get him back to you and he sees a police officer, but he thinks he's gonna get arrested because you just told him that, he's not gonna come to them. The police, whether we like them or not right now, I still believe that the police or firefighters for that matter, are the only people that a child can approach as strangers um, that where they need help that, and these people will help them, right? These strangers won't hurt them, they'll help them. Now, I, I realize a lot of people may not believe that, but when a kid is lost, a small child has had something happen to them and they see one of these uniformed guardians, if you will, they have to understand that they can go to them and, and do that, and, and that lesson, um, stuck with me. I mean, I have several of them, but I had oh, just a couple of months when this happened. And we, he and I talked about this afterwards. And, and so I've had this same conversation um, with multiple parents, not where they've said, I'm going to have you arresting, but you know, they try to use me as the heavy. And, and it's, we it's, that's just that not, learning right. opportunity, right? It's amazing, isn't it? Because when you said firefighter, fireman, or what have you, that was my dad. My dad was, he was, he loved being a firefighter. He was a captain. He was in the fire department. He was in the fire brigades and he loved his job, but he was always there to protect the people. And the same with the police. They're there to protect you, to make sure your community is functioning well. And there are some people who might need a little bit more support. And so the police, as we say now, peace officers will help support that peace. You know, it's interesting because when my dad was a fire person, he was in the fire marshal, so he had a little bit of extra free time. He would go to schools in his uniform to teach children, I'm not the enemy. If your house is burning down and you see me come to collect you, come help me. 
Let's get out of that burning house. But it's the uniform that sometimes scares a child. Well, and you're right. But I also think that um, uniform public safety people, whether they're firefighters or uh, police officers mm -hmm. also have the opportunity to change the course of a child's life to be very inspirational to them. I became a police officer as a direct result of being caught by a police officer when I was like 12 or 13 years old, driving my little motorcycle down the street right after my mom told me not to do it. And, <laughs> you know, he held me accountable. My mom came and picked me up, but she was so mad at me. She wanted to kill me uh, justifiably. She just told me not to do it. And he brokered the peace between my mom and me. You know, I was on restriction forever. I couldn't ride the little motorcycle for a long time. But I have to this day, with clarity, I can tell you what his uniform looked like, what the car looked like, what he said, all these things. And it was after that experience, I said, I want to do that. You know. Oh, that's fantastic. And so I do well, believe, and I know a lot of police chiefs that will tell you very similar stories about this. Um, that's how it is. Our experience base it helps us form our decisions about our future, doesn't it? And we do need more peace officers, and we do need more PALS. There's a program in Santa Barbara, which I don't even remember what PALS stands for, but it's police. Now they're helping these families that were in PAL because of COVID-19 to get food, clothing, computers, so that they can go to school. It's a beautiful program and we don't right. honor that programs those right. programs so, right? so that's, that's an example of community policing a pal is stands for police athletic league and it uses athletics as a way of creating oh you're right for the police and the community to get together in a non-adversarial non-enforcement way if the only thing the police ever have an opportunity to do and this is my only concern about this defunding of the police movement is that if the if the only thing that you allow them to do is enforce the laws then we are actually going backwards in time to a place that wasn't so pleasant in the world of policing maybe um, you have to give them an opportunity to work with the community in non-enforcement ways so that people get beyond the badge and the uniform and see uh, that officer as a person that he or she has feelings they have families they have kids they have good days they have bad days you know they're not super people they're just community heroes who are trying to do the best they can to do the right thing and those that are not we need to get out of the business of policing there are some people who should not be police officers i'll be the first one to say that i had to discipline and, and separate some of the people that work for me but that's true in any line of work there is no field of endeavor that i can think of where a hundred percent of the people are doing the right thing in that occupation or should be in that occupation. So this is just the human experience. What you said, we have to do more than just enforce the law as a police person. And I love that because it is, as you said, with palace, the athletics that are going along mm -hmm. with them. And I'll never forget some people I interviewed in LA. They love having the athletic program with in combination with the police. It was so powerful. There's so many things that I have learned today. And I want to thank you for being our guest on peacepodcast.org. You know, we're here for peace, healthy living, and happiness. And I think we'd have happier communities if we all remembered that we are a peace community, a peace community. How do we keep the peace in our community? How do we remember that peace is possible? And it begins with me. And it begins with our police and the beautiful peace officers. And I want to thank you for being on our program. Pleasure. Do you have a dream? 
Oh, I have lots of dreams. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of dreams. And one of them is that we resolve all of the conflicts that we see today in policing and that we um, can agree on certain universal principles for uh, the police getting to the place where all of us are happy that they're around. Isn't that beautiful? Thank you, Jim Breland. It's not Breland, it's Bierman. B-U-E-E-R-M-A-N. It's just Jim. It's, it's just, just Jim. Jim. So Please, Chief Jim. <laughs> Please, Chief Jim, I thank you for your wisdom today, for your calm nature, for your spiritual base, for our police today, who really are helping us keep the peace. And I want that. I want that more than anything, because I love being in peace. And I love helping everybody feel that police are people and people are police. Bless you and thank you. Thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure interviewing you. All right. I want you to put this on your agenda. I want you to tell your city councils there is a place they can go to find out how to bring our police into the peace that we all need. And that's called peacepodcast.org. Have your city council watch this half hour. We had I couldn't just cut it off in 15 minutes. There's just too much to hear. And he has the wisdom of a community and being part of the community for so many years. Thank you again for being here and join us next week. Bye, Jim. Bye-bye. It's a pleasure.